every great dream begins with dreamers. Tom and Steve are strangers in a strange land. Join them on the journey from ignorance to knowledge, one book at a time, one chapter at a time. All aboard the Blunderground Railroad. Welcome back, listeners. This is the Blunderground Railroad. We are on the journey from ignorance to knowledge. And that begins, wow, hey, notes from Blunderground means notes from underground. We are in part two, chapter two. My name is Tom Smith, and my partner in crime, Stephen Hunt. Hey, how you doing, guys? Wow, so chapter number two. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, part two. Bunch of, uh, bunch of dreaming in the beginning. Well, this was, I thought, uh, it was a chapter for me. I think the last time you had mentioned how much that affected you, that first chapter, and how much it really spoke to you. And this one was one that really spoke to me. Uh, it it, it it's kind of has a, a, a tighter narrative, but boy, I, I really thought it had a lot to say. And there was um there was so much here. There was so much here. It really spoke to me. Yeah. Well, um, the last chapter just starting to make sense. This isn't, as I said before, it's not an easy read through this book. Um, so I kind of was no. like, okay, cool. Like, this is sort of plain English. I can get this. And, yeah, you. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said this chapter was a tighter narrative. Like, he made the same point like 50 times, so it wasn't really that hard to follow along. Right. You know, it's interesting that you, you mentioned that. It's, it's, you know, it's funny. Notes from Underground is, is a, a shorter book, and it's one of the shortest books uh, that Dostoevsky wrote. But it's, it's, it's very dense. Okay, so pretty much every theme, like Dostoevsky's other books, even though they're much longer, are considered easier to read. Because what they do is they take one aspect of what we're talking about here, and they expand upon that aspect in the course of a story. So Notes from Underground has all the aspects. I mean, everything's here, and it hits you like a fire hose. I mean, the only way to really understand it is to slow down and take it piece by piece. Uh, and, and if you, uh, and we've mentioned Brothers Karmazov here before. Brothers Karmazov is effectively all the different pieces that you find all in one character. The underground man is everything, like all combined. And then in, in Brothers Karmazov, it kind of everything's separated out. Every major theme gets its own character, and they're all kind of interplaying with each other. Uh, but this, it is. It's a lot. You, you get it like a fire hose. Yeah, uh, I think the, the way to describe this book would be raw. Like if I had to find one word, it'd just be raw. Because he takes mm-hmm. every single facet of human emotion and tears it apart piece by piece and just lays it out there. Like, no stone is left unturned. Man, nothing. And then to see it in real life, uh, not, not not necessarily in, in real life, but in Chapter 2, we're reading the story of what his life is like and what it looks like when you're watching his life. Mm-hmm. And when I really feel that that's where a lot of the genius of this is, because when you're reading about his life, everything that you read in Part 1, these all these abstract thoughts and all these ruminations on human nature and on you know reasoning and motivation and things of this when you read it in part two you see it it's like i mean i I, i'm i'm left speechless you read it and you're you just 
it feels like, you know, when someone pulls down your underwear in the middle of class and you're not really sure how to react, everyone's kind of looking at you and you're just kind of standing there, you know? You sound like you have some personal experience there. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. I don't well, know. Well, I mean, I imagine it would probably feel that way. <laughs> sure. No, he definitely exposes himself for sure. And yeah, uh, he's not he's not shy to, to do so. And, you know, that that's the part of the book that kind of makes you reflect inward on yourself and... That's really the part of the book that'll slow you down, is you you'll be reading and all of a sudden, uh, if you're anything like me, anyway, you'd be yeah. reading along and you read a sentence and you're like, wait a minute, and you'll stop just because you're like, oh, that reminds me of when I thought of this or when I did this, and yeah, uh, yeah, it's just just deep, it's raw. No, it really is, it really is, and when you're working through it, I mean, it can really, it reveals a lot about yourself, and um, it's pretty raw, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it, it can like we said last podcast, uh it can it can be helpful. It can help you realize things about yourself that you didn't even know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. Uh, I'm going to look at some some key quotes from the chapter. I think uh Steve and I both have quotes that we we have. I, I thought my first quote was the first um part of the book, part of the the chapter. Mm. Um but the period of my dissipation would end. You know, he has this um this period of dissipation he talks about um you know, going to, going to the seedier parts of town. You know, he, he, he where he goes and he sees the. Uh, that's where he meets the police officer. There's the fight, the billiard fight. Right. And uh, and he goes and he, uh, you know, he sees the the prostitute and all these things, and so he's um he's got this this period of, this period of dis of 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 di- dis uh, uh dissipation. It, it it so, you know, we have like this this kind of dream. And so he always says that he felt sick afterward and that he was followed by remorse. Uh, you know, that there's, and, and later on in the book, he talks about there being no middle ground, right? There, it's always one extreme or the other. You know, and he says, he, later on in the book, he talks about it was either being in the mud or it was being in the, uh, he says uh, later, he says, dreams were particularly sweet and vivid after a spell of dissipation. Uh, so just when he's at his worst is when the dreams become the sweetest. Uh, and he says... Um, That's his mind, I think, just rescuing himself from from <laughs> feeling like that. Yeah, he says here, he says, um, I quite contently occupied the lowest in reality, either to be a hero or to grovel in the mud. There was nothing between... That was my ruin. Yeah. Well, I think that's the objective and subjective truth. He doesn't believe in subjective truth. It has to be objective, and objective is black and white. Um, I, I went down to uh, where he became numb, actually. Mm. Uh, where he, he says, I grew used to everything, or rather, I voluntarily resigned myself to enduring it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, like, it's almost like you've come to just... Well, I'm just going to accept that this things are the way they are. Mm-hmm. They're not going to change, and I don't like it, but I'm just going to have to deal with it. Yeah, and you know, it's really fascinating, uh, and um, yeah, you can see it here. I know that you at home can't see it, but uh, Steve here can see it. I actually highlighted that exact quote. Yeah, uh, and that's an exact uh, hi- that's an exact quote that highlighted, and it's so true. It's. It makes me think about the four when he's talking about, um, you know, he's talking about the Crystal House, the Crystal Palace. Right. 
and uh, you know the Crystal Palace, and he says, "Hey, you know, you can point to this Crystal Palace and and say that this is this is the utopia. You know, you can create that perfect thing." And but yet he will go in and he will call it a chicken coop, right? Mm-hmm. Everything that he sees in life, he 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 disdains. You know, he he. It, it's really about you know. I, I think I've heard it. You know the man's man's highest highest name. You know the highest goal. Uh, back in chapter number. Uh, back in chapter five. If you go back, there's so much in chapter five that correlates to this chapter. I mean, there's. I I was just amazed at at seeing it. Uh, and he talks about primary cause, and he talks about the man of consciousness and how the man of consciousness can't come to this sense of justice. Uh, you know, it's it's the freedom to desire another desire. I mean, right? I mean, if if you uh, for example, if you were to tell me that the wife is upstairs, she's got prime rib in the oven, and we're going to have, uh, you got baby back ribs out on the deck, and, uh, you know, you want me to stay for dinner because uh, we're going to have, you know, it's going to be prime rib. It's going to be amazing, right? The desire to desire another desire, right? It's the freedom to desire another desire. No, I think I'd rather go home and have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Well, that'd be a horrible choice. Well, it, may, it might be, but you know what? I think that's what I desire instead. I don't have anything good. At, well, actually, I got chili upstairs, but... Uh, oh, right. Well, there you go. Hey, chili. But pretty good. No, you, no, no, no. You pretty go good. peanut butter and jelly. You leave my chili alone. Yeah, but you know, we, you have to ask yourself, <laughs> where does this sense of a new eye, of, of ennui come in, right? Mm-hmm. And, and where does this sense of ennui, this feeling of listlessness and pointlessness? Because that's what he's talking about here. I grew used to everything, or rather, I voluntarily resigned myself to enduring it. I mean, who hasn't felt that way, right? The strength to endure. Who hasn't felt that the last bit of strength that you have in your body, in your very soul, is the strength to endure? Uh, forbearing one another. Right. Yeah, I, sure? I remember that from recently. Uh, right. Yeah. For yeah, <laughs> forbearing one another, and so you you have the you know I grew used to everything. So when you look at the world and you don't see anything in the world that can be good or could be uh, could be beautiful, uh, that uh, you don't see that. Okay, you don't have that truth. You're just deconstructing everything. Then you have to protect yourself against you know you have to protect yourself against everything, the onslaught of everything, you learn to resign yourself to it and you endure it. So that's why I am the way I am. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But see, here's the thing, though, and what I thought was wonderful about the chapter, because before in the ruminations, right, we talked about how the censors took, uh, took this sense of God and otherworldly, and, and the gospel, this otherworldly gospel out Mm-hmm. Of the first part. Mm-hmm. Well, in this chapter, you can kind of see where you can kind of see it, and you can see where Dostoevsky was really utilizing it. Because yep. when the underground man, when he is bearing everything in the world, everything in the world is assault on him. Everything is pointless. Everything leads to ennui. It, it, it leads to this uh, this cycle of rumination, uh, inertia. Right, inertia is a tendency to do nothing and to remain unchanged. And he needs this devised life. Right. So where does he find the opposite? Where does he find the opposite of ennui? Where does he find meaning? Where does he find um, that uh, that sense that's that's not inertia? Right. Well, later on, he says it. He says. 
you know, he, he talks about it. He says, there were moments of such positive intoxication, of such happiness, that there was not the faintest trace of irony within me. I had faith, hope, love. Well, thanks for stealing my highlight. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, ha- I had that one highlighted because, you know, it had some Bible there. No, it does. It does have the Bible. And he talks about, um, and it's amazing that he brings up the Lord again. Uh, he talks about it a, a little bit later in the chapter. We'll, we'll go back to that. And I'll, oh, oh, so you're going to steal my highlight no, no, again? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. So, <laughs> go ahead. It's all you. I got nothing to say. No, no. I, I got nothing to say. I th- That was what I was going to say. I found it cool that he had faith, hope, and love in those dreams. And I found it neat that we found some Christianity that managed to make it through the censors, like right. you said. I'm just going to be repeating what you said. Maybe I went further with my highlight. I, I continued on a little bit. So I, I believed blindly at such times that by some miracle, by some external circumstance, all this would suddenly open out, expand, and that suddenly a vista of suitable activity... And then it says "ready made" a yeah. couple couple words later. That's right. So he, that's he he had hope that like maybe someday my plight, you know, this will ch- this will change. Mm. My circumstances will change. I won't have all these thoughts on my mind. There'll be other smart people in the world that I can identify with because that's the problem. He doesn't identify with anybody. He feels like he's alone. He does, yeah. So, yeah, I, which he, I, sadly I get that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and I know what you mean. He 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 gets. He gets into the, a little bit later in the chapter, he says this, and it's amazing, because in his, his dream world, in his fantasy world, he's able to conceive of what he doesn't find in the world, right? Yeah. And so, and this is what he says, it's amazing, he says, what loving kindness, O Lord, mm-hmm. what loving kindness I felt at times in those dreams of mine, in those flights into the sublime and the beautiful, Though it was fantastic love, right? Fantastic love. He, he's in his dreams, he has a firm conception of God, of the Lord. And he defines the Lord as a sublime, beautiful, fantastic love. And then he says later on, uh, when he's talking about, um, he's talking about uh, 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 living the life of the hero and his dreams. And uh, he's, he's kind of channeling Napoleon. You know, he's talking about being triumphant and about saving people. Mm-hmm. What does he say he does to the people? He says, I forgave them. <laughs> you know, I yeah. forgive. I forgive. You know, in his dreams, he's the hero. What does the hero do? He wants to forgive. You know, he feels in his dreams, he feels the presence of God. He defines God as a fantastic love, and he's motivated to forgive. Yeah, as spiteful as he is, <clears throat> at right. the end of the day, um, like I, I, I hope like all of us Christians, examines himself, knows where he stands with God's righteous judgment, right, and where he stands within God's will, knows where he stepped out of line, mm. and goes, yeah, well, I need to humble myself and fix this, this, and this. Yeah, you know, one thing about the about the, about the chapter about the the underground man. Is you know before in the last podcast we were talking about how the underground man. Uh, we were talking about excuse me how uh, Dostoevsky was, um, he was critical of Western European culture and literature, yeah, and how that had kind of inf- infected Russia at that time. Mm-hmm. He says here in the chapter he says um, 
He says, in reality, yet there was so much of this love that one did not feel afterward even the impulse to apply it in reality. And he says that would be superfluous. And he says, uh, so, you, you know, why would that be superfluous? And it's, the point here is that the underground man doesn't have the right frame, okay? His frame, he's got the right idea, okay? So he's got, he, he's got that, you know, can he sense God? Yes, just like any man. Mm-hmm. And does he does he define God as a fantastic, unfailing love? Yes, he does. He, he's got that part right. He knows it. But when it comes down to brass tacks, when it comes down to seeing what the dream, what the action really is, okay. So what the man of the man of action? What is the justice? What is that primary? Right. Well, the underground man. He's not going to go to the Bible, or right? he's not going to say, "Well, the underground man is going to pull out his Bible, and then he's going to look at the Bible." No, 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 no. The underground man has only the only thing that he has to to filter his dreams through is European culture and literature, the narrative of Western Europe. Well, because that's where he's trying to fit into. That's where he. That's where he desires to fit into. Exactly. That's his. That's just being worldly. Yep. That's 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 just sinful nature. Yeah, and it is. A, that's know, all. Yeah, to be. And you're exactly right. That's that's where he is. That's where he wants to be. You know, like he he wants to be. He wants to be. He wants to be a benefit, right? But then he, he for example, later on, he describes himself as a. He describes himself as Napoleon. You know, I for ex- for instance, I was triumphant over everyone. Uh, of course, and was in dust and ashes and was forced to spontaneously recognize my superiority, <laughs> you know. So, you know, everyone, just like Napoleon, Napoleon conquered Europe. And when he conquered, uh, and when he conquered, people had to admit that even though they didn't like him, that he was superior and they had to recognize that he was superior. Uh, and then, you know, later on, he's talking about um, Lord Byron. Lord Byron had written uh, a poem about a, a guy named Manfred. And so he's talking about that here, you know, and he says, um, and he says, uh, the deeds, which, of course, were not merely shameful, but had in them much was sublime and beautiful. Even when the underground man sins, even when he sins, it's still beautiful. You know, people say it's like he, even his sins are beautiful. You know, like even when he does wrong, people say, well, I understand why you would do that. And it's, it's, a, it's a, probably a good thing. You had good intentions, you know, just just, you know, kind of went wrong at the, at the last moment, you know. And, uh, you know, he says, everyone would kiss me and weep, right? Yeah, he's just living out extreme fantasies in his dreams that will never come to fruition. I mean, man, it's like he's got to lie to himself so hard because his his thoughts are so consuming the other way that he has to have dreams that that balance that back out, right? Like that emotion that has to come out some way. Um, so true. Says, I got something else that's highlighted here. It says, and, yeah. and I could hardly have resigned myself to the simple, vulgar, direct debauchery of a clerk and have endured all the filthiness of it. So, like, right there, he tries to so exalt true. himself above what he actually was. So he's just lying to himself in the dream, just pretty much saying exactly the opposite of what he he is. Uh, right. Um, be, because it's the balance. It's the balance. If you have too much on one side, it's it's going to go to the other side. That's that's the emotion. If 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 an emotion comes in, it's going to come out in some way. His is dreams, apparently, from what we see here in this chapter. Yeah, from what we see in the chapter. 
I see I see like there's this there's like this correlation between because like in his dreams you're right the dreams are extreme but he dreams of being Napoleon right so he wants to be Napoleon and then he also wants to be like this poetic tragic character Manford where you know where he wants to be he wants to be a conquering hero where people must uh, admit his superiority and then he also imagines himself to be a sinner who's so poetic and graceful in his sins that people, you know, people kiss him, you know, and thank him for sinning because like they, they benefit so much from his ideas and from, 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 from his style, you know, in his life, you know, and, and before, um, and you had mentioned it before that was the, um, yeah, but in the, the, in the beginning of the, in the beginning of the book, what does he, what does he call himself? He says he's like a wicked man or a wretched man. I, yeah. can't, I can't remember what it is. He doesn't speak very highly of himself. Like it's like the first sentence of the book, I think. So he Yeah, I'm so, a spiteful man. I'm a, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yep. How could I forget that one? How could you forget Oh my that? goodness. Yeah, man. I'm a spiteful man. I'm a sick uh, man. I'm a sick man. I'm see, a spiteful man. It's not fair. It's not fair. That's well, not fair. I'm over here playing No playing checkers. No playing chess. <laughs> <laughs> no man. So, that's not true. Um so so just the opposite yeah. in, in his dreams, you know, instead of that he's he's got to be a be a superhero because in real life he has to deal with what he actually is. Yeah, no it is. And and what is he actually? And this is the thing is stark for me is when you see him admit it and say it. And because he is admitting to himself what no what a lot of people don't admit to themselves. Uh he he says he says here, he says, I believed blindly at such times that by some miracle, by some external circumstance, all this would suddenly open out, expand, and suddenly a vista of suitable activity. Right. You know, beneficial good, above all, ready-made, right? And he says, what sort of activity? Yeah, I had no idea. But the great thing was that it should all be made ready before me. It would rise up before me, and it should come out into the light of day, almost riding a white, like he's riding a white horse with a crown, and, and, and <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and that's the thing is, is that, so, like, he really does want to be, you know, it's, it's um, I think it was, uh, I think it was Scott Adams, right? I think it was Scott Adams said one time, um, and I'm probably not quoting him directly, but he said, he said, people that want to be successful, he said, he said, the people that are good at being successful, they all do the same thing. He said, they ask themselves, he said, they answer the question, what is the cost of being successful? Like, what's the cost? And then they pay it. So he said, you know, he said, the, the difference between people who are successful and people that want to be successful are that people who are successful quantify what needs to be done and then they pay their dues. They do what needs to be done. You know, whereas people who want to be successful, you know, they they don't make a decision. I mean, what they do is they make a they make a goal or a wish, you know. So as a so, for example, uh, here at the underground man, he doesn't he doesn't want he doesn't even know what he needs to do to be a hero he wants to be a hero but he can conceive being the hero that part is easy yeah he doesn't have an end goal though. right yeah that's right i mean we see this but we see this well, a lot maybe maybe a plan he doesn't he doesn't have the plan of action worked out like what it, what it would practically look like he does have an end goal because it's that hero so right yeah, yeah okay yeah, that's true yeah, yeah he does but he has no he has no system he has no plan of action right yeah well if he did then he wouldn't be in this predicament well, that, that's true. He'd probably be 
the man of action. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I see. Um, I think a lot of this. We can see a lot of this in our modern world, and I, that's another. I mean, reading this chapter revealed to me a lot about my own life, but it also, it's stark how 150 years later, like we're living so much of this. You know, the underground man is caught up in Lord Byron and his poetry, and he's caught up in European culture. He's caught up in history, European history. All these pla- all these things have no real place in Russia. You know, Russia is a different kind of animal. It's a different kind of beast. You know, everything is, is it, you know, it, it, at this point in time, you know, it's not... Like Saint Petersburg is 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 like this is is like the city that's trying to be like European, right? But it's it's all different, mm-hmm. you know. Whereas, uh, uh, you know, a lot of Russia at that time was rural, it was peasants, right? Uh, uh, different, uh, but even today, like for example, right? Like we have the masculine archetype everywhere, right? I mean, you can turn on TV, and I mean at any point, and you can have a thousand uber masculine archetypes, right? Yeah. And so uh, out there and, and, and they're all played a thousand different ways. And yet no young man knows how to be masculine, you know, and it's like a crisis. We have a crisis of, you know, masculinity and young men out there. Oh, that's, that's an emergency for sure. Right. It, it, it absolutely is. And so everyone wants to know how do we do it? But the thing that we have to realize first is that <laughs> we have made we have made the concept of envisioning what we want to do so easy and it's so ready made for us but yet we have become crippled in terms of actually doing and actually creating those steps we've become lazy let's just be honest as a society we've become lazy we don't have to get up and go out and tend to our food in the garden on the farm anymore and tend to the animals anymore we can just go to the grocery store and pick something up. We don't have to carry buckets of water back to the house for bathing or any any of that stuff. Society, it's become too... We don't even have to leave our house to shop. Just press a couple buttons. Yeah. I had paper towels show up at my house the other day. You did, yeah. I'm like, you buy these online? Ask my wife. I'm like, really? <laughs> like... I thought it was weird when we had a diaper subscription. That was that was a little strange. But you can be lazy. That's that's why people are are doing what they're doing. And the man of the eighteen hundreds, the 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 masculine stereotype, right? Yeah. Um, he didn't have that choice. Right. And if we didn't have that choice, mm-hmm. then the same people today that are walking around in skinny jeans. Yeah. They'd be out working a farm because they're not going to die. Right. That's just how they were brought up. They they would they wouldn't know any better. Yeah. Um. By the way, we we got to have somebody on that wears skinny jeans because I I don't know how. I've never actually asked anybody because it's just an awkward question. Well, but you you don't know how you don't know how to wear skinny jeans. How, no, how in the world is that comfortable? Why? What would make somebody do that? Like baggy jeans was the thing when I was a kid. Yeah. Sure. But there's always extra room. Like. I don't know. I yeah, mean, as no. long as they weren't falling down, they weren't uncomfortable. But right. skinny jeans, like yeah. my calves are too big for that. <laughs> I know, and I, I, I can't, I can't imagine how things like this will come into style. I mean, I really don't. You know, I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> it's you know, such and a I agree. Different world we live in. It really is. It really is. We're gonna have to bring in someone like like, like this and have this stuff. I don't know. We'll have to bring in a zoomer. Or we're gonna have to. We're gonna have to bribe them. 
I'm like, well, probably. Yeah. We're going to have to bring in like a Zoomer and, and have him come <laughs> in. And I, I, you, Wow, that's, that's kind of weird, man. I, I don't Wow. If we could get my 16-year-old on. We maybe. And they could tell us about skinny, skinny jeans, man. Have and, to drag him out of his room. Stuff like this, man. And wearing hoodies when it's 90. That's a thing now. What, wearing hoodies when it's 90? Yeah. Oof. Yeah, man. my daughter, uh, my 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 thirteen year old and my sixteen year old do it. It's it's too like, much. Like what are you? Too much for me. We're on the boat and they're wearing hoodies. Like it's. Are you crazy? Yeah. Right, man. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. It's. I uh, saved the sunscreen. If you're gonna do that. Uh, that's right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. What are you doing? You know, it's it's fascinating that you say that. I, I was um I was reading uh, a little bit and and I was reading an article and it was talking about um like in the city. I mean, we have okay, like this is how bad it is, right? In the city, not necessarily in the country, but this is how far away we are. And again, it's right here in the chapter as well. It's a very legitimate thing in the chapter. Urban versus rural, okay? Urban communities, traditional communities, and then we have the urban landscape. And, and, and when I say urban, I'm also referring to the technological ease. We have so much technology. And even in rural environments, there's so much technology. So in the city, right, in, in places like New York, there are people, all right, that... This is where we're at, okay? Like DoorDash. There are people who DoorDash is not a service. DoorDash is a subsidence. All right. Like this is how people feed themselves. Like there was a um I, and that there were these uh, these people they were talking, they were saying there are people in the city that need money. Okay. The, the, these people are, are are they have no food security. And so, you know, for example, these these are people they don't know how to cook, right? They they they're not in a position where they're they're going to the grocery store. They are just ordering DoorDash. Like, that's how they eat. Like, every day, they're just going to order DoorDash. And so, if they run out of money, they no longer have. Like, so, you we're teaching people these days that you have an app, okay? So, you say, kid, okay? So, kid, come here. So, this is how you're going to. So, here's what, how, what you need to do. You need to, um, you need to um, find friends. Okay, there's an app for that. You remember Elizabeth Warren used to say, there's an app for that, right? <laughs> and you used to go, okay, you need to find friends. Well, there's an app for that. It's called Facebook. Here you go. I tried right? to forget most of it. Oh, you, uh, you need to find out who to vote for? Well, there's an app for that. It's called Twitter. And then people go, oh, um, you know, um, you need to uh, find out someone. You know, you need to find someone to hook up with. Okay, well, there's an app for that called Tinder. And then there's you'll say. There's a bunch say, of those. Yeah, you'll, you'll have a bunch. <laughs> so you have a bunch of those. So and then you'll say, okay, well, what if I'm hungry, mom? Oh, well, if you're hungry, there's an app for that too. You it's called DoorDash. You go on DoorDash, and then you order a bunch of food on DoorDash. And so people learn that the app is what feeds them. And so we have a situation now where you know people have been getting so many stimulus checks and getting money. People say, well, we need to get money to people in the city because if we don't, the people are going to starve, right? These people are going to they're going to starve to death because they, they don't know how to cook, or they, they or they they put themselves into that position where they they could. They could imagine a big prime rib dinner with all sorts of amazing things, and they can order DoorDash. They can order like ramen noodles on DoorDash and have somebody bring like a DoorDash with a like a like one of them Coke deal majabis, you know. You know, but, I, but in the middle, right? That middle ground, right? They're either stuck in the mud or they're like uh, they're the hero, you know. And so in that middle ground where you're learning how to cook. You know, and you might not be the best cook, but you can you can get it. You can you can find maybe one thing you can cook well and, and cook a variety of different things. And you can make some people. You can sustain people. Like this is not even a thing, right? So we don't do, we do this with masculinity, but we also do it with food, like the very food that we eat. Yeah, you know, I'd like to get Darwin's thoughts on relying on an app for food. <laughs>
I mean, and just for like six months, apply those principles. Man, yeah, right, <laughs> right, right. Stop putting warning labels on stuff, dude. Like, <laughs> right, right. Some of this stuff is crazy. I don't understand, man. And it's, and it's it's gone downhill so so quickly. Uh, I actually saw you reminded me with this DoorDash thing. Yeah, being like how some people just live, like they don't even they ain't seen the inside of a grocery store, right? They no, it's can't true. Cook or whatever. It's true. But some people can't cook. I saw a meme from somebody I know very, very, very well. Okay, yep. I've known for almost my whole life. Sure. And I can't believe this person now thinks this way. I'm like, <laughs> just every day just gets further and further from the person I thought I knew. Yep. <laughs> Posted this meme that said. In a decent world, nobody would have to have a car. What? Right. And it showed like a person like stepping onto this like commuter rail. Like, yeah. So the world wouldn't. It, so forcing you to have a vehicle is a burden. We're not. No one's forcing you to have a vehicle though. Right. Like, if you'd like to walk from BFE, right? <laughs> have at it. Right. <laughs> like. No one's forcing. That's right. This person who posted this lives in the woods, pretty much. Yeah. Like, do you know how far you are from a monorail? Right. Yeah. You no, need exactly. head south and some, maybe some westish. Right. <laughs> right. What are you doing, posting? Like, oh my goodness, the brainwashing of society is real. Wow. Yeah. You know, and a lot of it is a lot of it is it's narrative. A lot of so much of it is narrative. We have learned to pay fealty to the narrative because the narrative because we've we've engineered we've taken god out i mean right we have you know church attendance is, is at an all-time low and i don't know, you know why right yeah and we have you know <laughs> religious belief is on the decline so but people still need these narratives in their lives and so they they seek out these narratives and you know the these uh so but people don't necessarily you know with the underground man, and this is again in, in Russia, where the book was written in response uh, to uh, the book was written in response to another uh, Russian writer, who had um, who had put forth that if humanity, uh, could, as a blank slate, could just figure out some perfect equation, then they could cease to do evil and they would always do good. They could create utopia, you know. And the underground man shows out, no, that's not the case. And so, not with anything in this world, right? Only with things outside of the world. Yeah. Uh, but o- only in heaven, which is probably redacted from here. Right. The um, the um, the uh, the narrative, and we have so many, we have so many different narratives that we that we fill our lives with. And the underground man says here, he says, the hero was a cloak for the mud. For an ordinary man, it was shameful. You know, the hero becomes the cloak for the mud that we're in. You know, these things that we're talking about here, um, you know, we talk about society and we try to do it uh, in a frank way. We try to be blunt about things. Um, and, and I think also uh, even off air when we're not recording, I mean, we're pretty transparent with each other. I'm just trying to keep up with the underground man's bluntness. That's all. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, I hear you. And we try to be blunt with each other, uh, which is good. Yeah. Uh, but you know, so much I think we see, because for me, when I look at this, I, I think about social media, you know, in, in terms of how the, it says, the hero was a cloak for the mud. And for an ordinary man, it was shameful. Uh, he's arguing again with, uh, he's kind of arguing with again with, with these people. He's saying to them, uh, he says uh, later in the chapter, 
It really is vulgar and contemptible, and most contemptible of all it is that now I am attempting to justify myself to you, and even more contemptible that that is my making this remark now. But that's enough, or there will be no end to it. Each step will be more contemptible than the last. You stole my highlight again. I did. There's so no, much. It's, no, it's, it's good that we're highlighting the same things. Boy, it really is. I'm starting to catch up to you. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I'm getting I, on your level. No, 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 no. I, I thought you. I, I, I think you always are. But the, um, he, um, he, uh, yeah, no, it's the same thing. And he says, you know, each one more contemptible than the last. Mm-hmm. People in these modern days, they, they use the social media, you know, to, to show what they want to show. That kind of hero yep. image, and but at the same time, what they're doing is they're living this like in the mud, mm-hmm. and so we see a different kind of a dynamic than what the underground man does. The underground man kind of disappears and then he kind of comes out and then he's got to seek out human interaction because he yep. can't, he can't handle the isolation anymore, you know? Uh, but what we see here is everything's like, it's like fake, you know, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, you, you, you call it fake life, you know? And like, even the people in fake life have like another layer of fake life. You know, it's like it's like a second layer. There's a lot of layers, man. There's a lot of layers. You got a different. Some people got a different layer for every person that they know. Ooh, that's a lot of work. Who's got time for that? Tell me they don't. Tell me. Tell me they don't. Yeah. No. You're gonna act one way in front of your pastor, and you're gonna act another way in front of your friends, and you're gonna act another way in front of your parents. Tell me I'm wrong. Right. There are people out there just like that. Yeah, I, I can see it. There. We got all kinds of layers. Sure, all, all kinds of layers. We have like so we have like these, all these different layers, and it's again. I was talking before uh, about urban versus rural, and about how that uh, kind of plays into things. Yep. Look at the underground man in terms of um, where he lives, because he's in Saint Pe- he's in Saint Petersburg, mm-hmm. and when he calls on uh, uh, Antonich, he calls on Antonich. I had to call on Anton Antonich, however, on Tuesday. His at home day, so I had always to what to I I had always to time my passionate desire to embrace humanity so that it might fall on a Tuesday. Yeah, <laughs> when I read that, I was like, man, he's having a time basically like when I'm okay leaving my house and I don't hate people. Oh, right, well, <laughs> like that's how I read that because I was like thinking to myself like. There's no way I could be like, yep, definitely, because I'll try to make plans, and I don't, I don't know how I'm gonna feel in 12 hours, and 12 hours now, I might not want to speak to you. Right. I have no idea. Right. And it was very hard at first to be like frank with people, so I had to like, I was just like faking it to make it type of thing. Okay, sure. Um, and I don't exactly know when it happened, but it's been a while now that I've just told myself, you know what, it's okay to say no. Yeah. And no. Um why? Because I don't I don't have a reason. Right. I just don't feel like it. Sure. To quote somebody recently. Yeah, right. I just sure. don't feel like it. Right. And I don't have to justify myself to anybody. And the underground man was getting irritated with feeling like he had to justify himself to someone. So if he would just Well, I think here like in in this particular section cuz he he talks about he says uh this passionate, right? He says um he says, my passionate desire to embrace humanity. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it, it, it's always fascinating because 
like the underground man is not a robot. He's not he's spiteful, right? But he's not a bad guy. He has all the capability to love. I mean, you can see it in his dreams, right? Oh yeah. I mean, his dreams. He's like, oh, I I could see in my dreams an embrace of a, a, a radical love, a fantastic love. You know, he he sees it in his dreams. But what he doesn't do is, you know, if if you can if you can love like that in your dreams, then you can have the skills to put that forth in real life. But something's broken there for the underground man, you know, like something's broken in between where he can't, he can, he can feel and he can envision the hero, but he can't do it outside of his dreams. Uh, You know, and, and for here, like in St. Petersburg, right? He has, he says, when I, I, I all, uh, so I had always to time my passionate desire. He doesn't have the ability to all of a sudden say, I feel like I just want to have a passionate desire to 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 embrace someone, right? Well, that was my problem with the whole thing. Is like if I had the ability to do that, yeah, wouldn't be worried about it in the first place, right? You wouldn't be if you had the ability to do it. Yeah, okay. So, but for for the underground man, it's not like that. See, he it's the effect of the city and of urbanization, and I would say technology, right? It, that it what it does is. It retards what we normally do in in a normal, authentic life, right? Like you push past it because you call it fake life, right? Yeah. And then you push past it, and then you're just going to do what you're going to do, right? Like if I, yeah. So if I were to, for example, um, like it, like I live down the street from you, right? Uh-huh. So I can call you, and I can, if I want to have time, I can I can do that. Yep. Right. So, uh, so I I can do that. So, um, I can just call you and 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 I can if I need to be with people, I have people that I can I can go to. Now, it hasn't always been like that. Right. There have been times where I I I I don't have anybody to go to, or if I am going to have someone to go to, I have to text them and wait for them to get back to me. Yep. I have to um I have to make sure I check their schedule and see when a good time that they can. Yeah, on their, on their terms. Right, on much. their terms, right? Yeah. Or um, uh, on their terms. Or um, maybe even uh, uh, so I have to work through a friend of a friend because they're just not obtainable. So they're, all, all these senses of technology and, and modernism mean that you can't just – it's not like I can just get up and walk down the street and knock on the door, you know? Like with you, I can call you. Steve, what are you doing right now? I, I'm got a real problem. I want to come over. Do you have like 20 minutes we can talk, you know? You could do that for me. Yeah, that's only because of my schedule, though. Because well, today's today's society, while, yeah, we both are walking around with things in our pocket that talk to outer space. Sure. Um, that really doesn't mean much. The only reason you can get a hold of me in today's society is because my schedule is rather open. Um, otherwise, the society we live in today, I, I think, is maybe... It, maybe it's a trade-off. Right. It might actually be less conducive to being able to be around people when you want to be. Um, because today you're working 60 hours yeah. a week just to survive. And there's distractions in the world that there wasn't before. Like some people nowadays, yeah. their living rooms, they will not put a TV in their living room. Right. right, right, true. You ever, you ever known someone like I that? I have, yeah, yeah. Right, good because point. Because that's a, that's the family room yeah. where we're, we're going to sit and talk. Sure. You know, and we don't want that distraction. Right. Those things that talk to outer space in our pockets. Yep. 
it's like a joke with me and, and some people I know. Like, hey, you guys want to find somewhere nice to go and stare at our phones? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, seriously. Right. No, a lot of times it is. It, a lot of times it is. It is so true. So the while the transportation may be easier, the communication may mm-hmm. be easier today, finding the time t- these days. Yeah. Good luck. Well, even so many things like when the underground man sits down uh, with people, I mean, they're talking about um, they're not talking about themselves or about anything uh, particularly uh, exciting. He says, nope. no, he says uh, the master of the house usually sat in his study on a leather couch in front of a table with some gray headed gentlemen, usually a collage from our office or some other department. I never saw more than two or three visitors there. Always the same. They talked about the excise duty, about business in the Senate, about salaries, about promotions, about his excellency and the best means of pleasing him, and so on. I had the patience to sit like a fool beside these people for four hours at a stretch, listening to them without knowing what to say or venturing to say a word. You know, so much of our, even our discourse is sanitized, is approved, is pushed out. You know? Oh, oh, I definitely know. Yeah. Oh, man. And, and so, you know... We, we I had that we, highlighted, too. Yeah, did you? Yeah, right there. You know, right there. I'm going to blame it on it being a short chapter. <laughs> so there you go. There's a lot of averages. Man, no, 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 not at all. Not at all. And and these... we, we, we There's so many things that we... Even when we want to be authentic, we think that being authentic is not... We think that being authentic is getting out of our dream world and then authentically engaging in the script rather than the script that we have inside our head, we move outside our head, but we're still following a script, you know, and, and and that is authentic. And that goes back to what we were talking about previously in the podcast. We were talking about how knowledge of a thing is different than the actual thing. Mm -hmm. And, and it's just incredible how when, when you are living your life through literature and you are engaging your person in knowing about things rather than knowing the thing, mm-hmm. and and you're living according to scripts. Uh, that it, it's and, and again we we see that here um, in in the uh, in, in the chapter. He, the underground man, can love humanity in his dreams. He loves humanity, like in an abstract kind of way, but he hates the people around him. You know, he can't stand like, his schoolmates. He hates his schoolmates. He despises the people he works with. Yeah. He, he hates the, the, the lady. I mean, he's vile towards his servant that, right. that, that, that feeds him bread and all this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he hates people, but he loves all of humanity. And it's kind of like this modern-day psychosis of what we have. Like, we, we, we have knowledge, but we don't have experience. We don't have, you know, we have... We have we have we have all of this uh we have all this we have all this quantifiable knowledge and advice we have all this advice but we have no skills we have narratives we have we don't have narratives inside we have narratives inside and outside they yeah. just the narratives don't change that's just the locations change and consequently we have a narrative that drives our people that says that we need to seek out a, to- a utopia that it's possible that if only we had x y or z if only we had the crystal palace if only we had all these things then it would be utopia without end meanwhile we have you know people that are you know literally cutting people's heads off with swords you know uh, in on you know out in california you know i mean we have we have 
We have beheadings. We have we have butchering. We have we have we have murder. We have we have all sorts of terrible things that are happening. And so, you know, we we are a people, a culture who loves people, but then at the same time, we 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 don't. We hate we hate our neighbor. Well, it's because that the idea of who who wants to admit to no, nope, I just hate people. It's almost like in that last chapter, I can't remember the the um the author's name, but he said it's pretty much impossible to write a true like a real autobiography. Mm. Um, yeah, he was talking about uh Russo, right? Yeah, because people people aren't going to want to admit the the bad things about themselves. So who is going right. to actually sit there and say no, I actually can't stand people at all, to be honest with you. It's kind of like when somebody comes up to you, like, hey, how you doing? Like the automatic knee-jerk response is, good, good, how you doing? You know, like, I mean, I, I've got to the point where I'm just real with people. Like, actually, I had car trouble today. Not too fun. Right, you, right. And you catch people off guard. Why? Yeah. Because it's not normal right, it's true. to actually tell the truth. It's true. To say how you really feel. It's true. You know? Right. So the same with, you know, loving people. Uh, it's because it's it's this idea in our head of what is supposed to be right. That's the narrative. Yeah. But what we actually do in practice is different. And that's where I say if you're a Christian, yeah. you should be checking yourself. Are you yeah. going to be able, is, is everyone going to be able to love everyone at all times and just perfectly? No. No. No, not at all. That's the growing in grace mm. portion of being a Christian. And yeah. boy, it's a good thing we're not saved by works and that we're under grace. Yeah. Because really none of true. us could ever, ever do every single thing perfectly like Christ did. Yeah. We couldn't do it. No. No, we couldn't. And it's, you know, it's funny. I, f- I find that how when we. You're so caught up in the world where everything is everything is wrong, and, and we we see that you look around and 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 you're kind of you're kind of you, you, the man of consciousness can't you know he doesn't have that sense of justice and, and everything he sees the the consequences of every action right and the consequences of every action and when you view the world through literature and all this what you're doing is is you're learning to love humanity in the abstract but you hate your neighbor right. Yeah. It's so interesting that when you get outside the world and then you look at the other world and you're in you're, you're in the spiritual world, when you're engaging in your spiritual freedom, right, the yeah. desire to desire another desire, mm-hmm. right? I desire to desire a different desire than the Crystal Palace. I want that one, the one that says faith, the one that I don't know is real. When you engage that one, things kind of flip. And then when you're looking at the world as humanity as an abstract – you no longer see utopia and love them. You see original sin. And yeah. you see that the world, everyone has fallen. No one is righteous. No, not one. Not one person right. can do it, right? But when you are looking at your individual, when you're looking at your neighbor, then you're loving your neighbor. You know, you're commanded, in Christianity, you're commanded to love your neighbor, mm-hmm. right? And then you look at the world, you say, well, the world is sinful, but I'm going to do what I can for my neighbor, right? Yeah. And so you, you see everything kind of flips on its head. You have a macro and a micro. Yeah, yeah. And I maybe just because, I don't know, we think like, well, I'm never going to meet people in Zimbabwe, so sinful 
people. The, the world itself is sinful, but then when you come in contact with a person, what are you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do? You're not going to tell that person anyway, like, hey, you're a sinful person, and I'm, I'm not the Westboro Baptist Church over here. Oh, right, right, <laughs> you right, know? right. I mean, we can, we inherently know that anybody we meet, including ourselves, we are living in the world, and we may be even looked at, hopefully not, as of the world, um, but somebody else may think that about us, you know, so we got to be careful not to uh, judge. I, I don't, I don't really, I don't ascribe any sort of view to the world at large. I just don't really care about anybody's salvation, but like my own, my family, and the people that I meet that I have a duty to warn the wicked of in, in, in the Bible. That's, that's it. I don't, because I got enough to worry about. Like, I, I'm, unless the Lord tells me to go be a missionary in Zimbabwe, I'm not worried about it to the extent of even thinking that far of like, oh, the world, yeah, sinful world, and then man's sinful nature, and we live in a fallen world. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't even worry about that, that stuff. I don't have time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's something that's uh, is actionable. I mean, I'm not exactly sure what that would look like as an action. In, 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 but it is interesting to conceive of that when you look at the, the, the way that the underground man is, the way that he views, like, his schoolmates and the way that he views his, his friends. Um, and even especially for us today, you know, I think that we, you know, I think that we, we look at society today and... Uh, you can see that we generally approach life in this way, that we, we look at uh, the world at large as being good and moving towards good, and then, but we, we, we kind of hate our neighbor. It's very, um, very, very interesting. It's very interesting. All right. Well, hey, uh, there you go. We have the same highlights, man. You got, you, did you, uh, you want to pull out a highlight for us there? I, um, I think that's what I got for today. I'd say the last thing that uh, I saw was um, he said I suspected that he had an aversion for me but still I went on going to see him not being quite certain of it talking about that one friend he had and it's like yeah um, what would wow I was like how desperate is this guy to to talk to people Um, this is almost like uh, just as bad as he needs validation from the world, he's like, I, I can't be isolated anymore. Like, I got to talk to somebody. Right. Even though he's like, yeah, he probably doesn't really like me very much, but it's the best I can do. So it's the only guy I can really tolerate. So I hope he can tolerate me just enough for me to go. <laughs> right. But yeah, that's the, I don't know. That was, that's pretty much it. Kind of leaves you with a cliffhanger at the end. He says, I went in. It was almost a year since I had last seen Simonoff. And then, like, yeah. boom, we're going to find out what happens in Chapter 3 now. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting because before, um, before uh, previously uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the book, I think it was in Part 1, hmm. he talks about how he likes to draw these contrasts, how he likes to draw things apart and make a contrast. And then he wants to live and explore in these areas that are between. And I saw that. It's interesting here because... He does this, right? He says, for example, um, when he's talking about his friend, he says, well, he doesn't think the friend likes him, right? Yeah. And, and as a matter of fact, he's convinced himself that the friend uh, doesn't like him, that he hates him. 
And uh, but yet he still goes and knocks on his door. He still goes and tries to be a friend. And and it's it's he creates these situations where he he does he creates this paradox, right? So he, he, it's, most of us, if I knew that there was a guy that didn't like me very much and said, "Well, you know, a Tom guy is a guy I don't really like him," right? I probably wouldn't go visit him and knock on his door and like want to hang out with him. I mean, I wouldn't try. <laughs> right. right you know i mean i think this is probably true of most people but like not the underground man the underground man's like no this is the one guy i actually want to go and sit with him i want to go and be his friend you know like where's the why do you have an explanation for that i i don't have an explanation for that other than the one i gave which is it's the only guy he can tolerate yeah i mean i think that there is a there's kind of a I do think that there is a point and a purpose to it all. Probably, I think we're going to see more of it in Chapter 3 here. Oh, so you cheater. I know, I know. There it is, Chapter 3. <laughs> there it is. It's coming. Coming right on the horizon. All right. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for thank you for joining us today. Thank you for making it this far. Boy, what a, a great chapter that was. All right. We'll be back for Chapter Number 3. Thank you for joining Tom and Steve on the Blunderground Railroad. Join us next time as we seek to travel from ignorance to knowledge. And check out their other podcasts, Notes from Blunderground and the Digital Blunderground. See you next time 